Hey everybody, just wanted to give you a quick warning at a time before we get right into the show. There is a slight technical difficulty in the beginning. It doesn't persist throughout the entire recording that there's a sort of tearing sort of noise that goes on a little bit. It doesn't seem to disrupt anything. If I try and take it out, it's going to cause issues with actually being able to hear what's being said. So it's pretty minor. It only shows up at a couple points, but wanted to bring it up ahead of time so people were aware going in. So I'm with the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, bots and cons to Tech Talk. It is the post-convention edition. I'm joined on our officially unofficial podcast, as always, by Scott of Vector Sigma. Scott, have you recovered from the weekend at this point? <laughs> sort of. I got kind of lucky at work. Uh by having a volunteer day on Monday, and then uh, we were off yesterday for the day of mourning, so I actually uh, was able to recover through all that stuff. <laughs> well, then you fared a little bit better than me. It's uh, I dove right back into work, and then it was it's well, let's just say there was a lot of work to be done when because uh, yep. I had taken Friday off to make sure that I got there for the event that we'll get into a little bit later, but. Uh, Oh God, what are you doing? <laughs> Me? Yeah, I just heard a bunch of static. Oh, Brody is trying to eat some packs, so I, uh, <laughs> I had to wrestle him. Something tells me they, they won't be quite as delicious or nutritious as a regular dog treat. <laughs> no, they, they've eaten other TCG cards before, so uh, I wanted to stop them before he decided that this one, the foiling on this was going to be uh, his next meal. That seems completely fair. So, uh... I guess to dive right into it, I wanted to give a quick shout out, and I didn't include it in the notes, but we did get some, the name that is, uh, we got some feedback regarding some of the technical difficulties that we've had before. Scott and I are trying something different on the back end to try and see if we can alleviate some of the the ear splitting, I guess, that people were reporting. Yeah. So yeah. I just wanted to point out, if anybody out there has any comments, suggestions, questions, whatever, by all means, reach out to us. I'm Scott, I'll let you jump in a second, but I will personally never care if somebody says that, hey, your sound quality is awful, fix it, because that's something that I can fix. You know, it, it would be helpful if you told me what was bad about it, but at least that way I know, hey, there's something broken and I can address it. Yeah, the main thing I'll just add is if you just include like a timestamp, if it only happened like once or twice or something like that. Oh, like absolutely. That, I mean, just uh, that'll just help us identify it. Maybe we can think back to what was happening during that time. So right, yeah, because I have a the same mic that we used on site at Pax Unplugged, which again we'll get into in a minute. But uh, if I bump it or something, I know it'll cause certain things. Obviously, we've had our recurring special guests that have four legs, so sometimes yes. stuff comes up, and and that's <laughs> fine. You know, it, you can't control everything, but definitely let us know if there's anything going on. So I just want to put that out there real quick as a, as a thank you. So on a more exciting and directly TCG-related thing, we did get some pseudo-reveals. Um, we will delve into the second one a little bit more, but the first one was just an art reveal of Windblade, which is actually kind of cool since she's a newer character to the Transformers universe, that she hasn't had quite the storied history that this guy here has, which we'll also talk about in a little while, but he, she has quickly jumped to the forefront. So it's kind of cool that even in Wave 2, we're already going to get her. Are you familiar at all with Windblade, Scott? 
Yeah, she's all over Power of the Power Primes trilogy. Awesome. So, um, <laughs> sorry, I, I got to take them out. <laughs> <laughs> it's allowed. Um, I guess you could say she's. I mean, I guess she's. I, I guess she's one of the main characters. Like, I don't know how else to say it. If you watched right. it, I mean, like she. Uh, in the first episode, she kills a combiner in like one battle. So, I mean, like pretty badass oh yeah she's a, a major player in the comics as well and has a humongous story arc i know i had recently loaned you uh last stand of the records we were talking about that before the recording started but uh she comes in significantly later from that point in the chronology but she ends up having a huge impact on the story so and obviously hasbro has been pushing her as a character in general so I'm not surprised we're seeing her. I'm very curious what rarity we're going to get her uh, at. Loaded upon. What was that? Oh, God, did I lose Scott? <laughs> I think he may have dropped off. We usually have... He's calling in from his phone into the VoIP call, so we're just trying something different, I think, as he's getting the furry creatures out. You back to us, Scott? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, what were you saying before? It started to cut out, I think, right as you were walking out. Um, yeah, I went through the Wi-Fi barrier, but I'm here now. Okay. So, uh, um, go ahead. So, so, she was a fan voted upon created character. Like, you had to vote for different aspects of her. Mm -hmm. So, like, I guess, um, like, I wasn't, I wasn't into, like, the toys and stuff, so, like, I didn't always keep up with, like, voting on Hasbro things and Stuff like that. So I just know that she was basically created um, through a, a series of votes. Like, do you want the character to be male or female? Do you want the character to be? What do you want the character to transform into? What do you want? Like, so I know that that's how she came about. So right, that's why she has such a prominent role because like she was basically created by the fans. Oh, of course, in a, yeah. in a roundabout way. So right, right. So it'll be interesting to see what I'm. I'm kind of personally expecting that we're going to get multiple versions of her, similar to how Optimus and Megatron worked, and Bumblebee, and Starscream, and all the other major characters. But time will tell. The other major reveal, we'll call it, came in a number of interviews, which we're going to talk about in a minute as well. But given the character I felt that deserved special attention, we were being told that, and we've heard, that there will be no sound waves in Wave 2. But we will be getting multiple sound waves over the course of 2019. So that is both disappointing for obvious reasons, but also exciting because he's my been my favorite for a very, very long time, and I know he's a fan favorite with a number of people. Were you disappointed at that news, Scott, or, were, or are you okay with seeing multiple later on? Uh, the best part of the news is that it basically says there's at least three sets coming out in 2019. Right. Because if he's not in wave, quote, wave two, then, and there's two versions of him, either there's a special, like, you know, Metroplex type set that they're going to make for him, or right. there's two literal, like, full on expansions that are going to occur during right. the year, which, which I think would meet with the schedule as three or four expansions a year. I don't really know, like, what, the, I don't know what, the, what, like, the magic early schedule is anymore, but, like, it used to be, like, three or four expansions a year. So the fact that, right, right, keeping to that is more positive for me. I mean, oh, yeah. in talking to in talking to Drew at the event, he basically said, "I mean, they want to get it right, which I think is like because there's been a lot of different ways that you could introduce a character like this, and I think 
like I mean, we have the 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 template in, in how Metroplex existed, but it, that may not be like you know if the reason that exists mechanically is because he's what four times the size of a normal character card or something like that, you know? Like, right, right. And and, and Soundwave won't be so like I, I wouldn't want to make another character card that like if the cassette characters can be used as normal like let's say they're like three stars or less i would assume right then you can't just put a bunch of them underneath the same size card so like there might be like a side deck or something like that like there might be different mechanical things they have to work out so right i'm very curious to see how he shakes out because like i said he's one of my favorites he is uh there's a lot of potential for how they could utilize him so We'll have to see how it shakes out, but I agree with you. There is that rumored Decepticon starter that, to my knowledge, there's been no further information about. But they did an Autobot starter. I don't think it's that much of a leap of logic to go to Decepticon starter at some point. Assuming a starter exists in this next wave, I would assume that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so given their how they released wave one and then immediately or close to immediately followed up with Metroplex... It doesn't seem unreasonable to think that that might happen, but at this point, to my knowledge, there's no information that we're going to get Wave 2 and then a supplementary following it up. Uh, So what you had said about there potentially being two more sets after that is also a reasonable assessment. That's entirely within the the realm of possibility, too. Yeah, like, I would think that, um, you know, the smaller, like, single Metroplex set type thing... It doesn't always have to be a Titan. You know, it could be like, this is how we introduce Combiners, this is how we introduce Triple Changers, like, it could be something like that. And to me, that's that's always been, in my experience in other trading card games over the years, um, I mean, this most resembles, like, the, the World of Warcraft raid decks that always had playable cards in them as well. And um, they always had an effect on the meta. Of course. For, for um, constructed play and for high level tournament play um but it's but it's easier to like play test them and and get them right um as a company because they're just you know those sets were like 15 cards these sets are like what was there like eight cards that were new you know like total yeah and a bunch of them could only be used by one character anyway so right it wasn't that big it wasn't that big of a deal so right although i can from their perspective i guess uh i could appreciate it because it's you have the time to, you know, you can introduce small iterative changes, which we had heard right. Drew bring up before. So it's, I'm okay with that. And if if yeah. we got even a more frequent release schedule, but a smaller one as opposed to, you know, the more traditional large sets, I don't think I'd have a problem with it. No, and um, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, but in our interview, you know, he mentioned that there are certain segments of the population that that are collecting this product or, or, you know, are, are playing it for different reasons. And, and right. you may not need to own every single set that's out there if you're that type of player. Exactly. So this offers options that are not like, I must own this to own, you know, because I have to have, you know, three of every card, three of every battle card, every single character available. Like, 
as a tournament player, like you just may not need to if you're just a more casual player. So, well, you say that but the casual player for this game may be a toy collector like myself. So oh, yeah. maybe they do have to have. It. <laughs> uh, just I mean, it's for a collector. It's a collector thing. But it's oh a, yeah, it's not a tournament thing. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. So, so um, any other thoughts on that before we move on to a different interview? No, I mean, there's just not a, there's not a huge amount of information yet, other than right. they just keep saying we'll get it in uh, January. So. Yep, which is pretty exciting. So that's not that far away. So moving from there, we wanted to draw attention to there was actually an official interview, I guess, posted with Scott Van Essen uh, on the official Transformers TCG Facebook page. So he's at Purple Baron on Twitter, and that's where I had originally found it. Um, so, I know you had gone through it, Scott. There was a whole bunch of information in there. Uh, any thoughts on there that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, the best part, and um, I don't, I don't want to necessarily quote it word for word, but I could read it. Um, he basically echoes a lot of what I've said about the game since the beginning, and you said about the game. Like, he doesn't use these actual words, but like <laughs> the minute to learn, lifetime to master type of thing. Right. He basically says that, like, the game is simple enough to just pick up. He even says, like, any random pile of cards and have a playable deck yeah. um, off your desk. Um, but what he said is that the true synergy comes in when you find the combinations that work better than just a random pile of cards, which is pretty much almost word for word exactly what we've been saying, that the game gets way more complex and interesting when you create, you know, synergistic... <laughs> deck archetypes which i think we found right um he, he also said that like you know the the basic casual player will see uh their opening turn and be and like you know have you know easy decisions like i'm just gonna attack with this guy and do this or whatever like i'm gonna flip the same guy that i'm gonna attack with and i'm gonna you know just attack and whatever but he said right. like you know you actually, if you have four different characters, you actually have like 96 different things you could actually do in your in your opening turn. And so right, there's right. an aspect of it that, that's like, you know, there's not always going to be like one set series of plays that you can make, which, right. which is always going to bring complexity into it. So, I mean, obviously, as the designer of the game, like, or as one of the designers of the game, I'm, I'm glad that my my thoughts on how complex it actually is even though it seems simple or we're, we're by design for lack of a better term yes and it is something worth calling attention to and, and echoing that sentiment that yes you can look at this and i i know i spoke with people that had said well the rules are so simple how could this possibly be a game i mean that's obviously a game but something that you would do more than you know play monopoly level sort of things where it's just you know, throwing cards on the table or rolling dice or whatever. But as you, was explained in both that interview and what you were just uh, relaying is that there are so many decision points and setting up for future turns that, yeah, flipping the guy and crashing in immediately may be the natural instinct, but planning ahead more than a, one step or two steps or three steps or whatever does reward you over time in this game. Yeah. I mean, he basically, like, what I said is that um, he said that because there's no, 
resource system that uh, there's a quote flat power band he called it so that most cards have the same power level like in isolation it's just how you use them and how you how you fit them together into a deck right the synergy of it that 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 makes the distinction so like you know again like i'm sure a good stuff deck is out there that just uses like the best guys of every cost or whatever and figures it out that way but it won't have the synergy of necessarily will have so right it may be worse so i just thought that was a again it's things that i've either said or or thought but he he said that there was basically like it was a conscious decision so which is what what i liked about it so makes sense uh were there any other points that you wanted to call out in that article i don't want to make you you know dictate the whole thing to us so like i said if you want to check it out for yourself people out there in audio or video land head on over to the official facebook page but uh, any other specific things they called out to you in there, Scott? It was just great. It was long. It was like good to see that the designers were involved in in, in, in writing articles like this. So it was great. Right. Yeah, it's definitely something that I hope they do more of going forward because it is appreciated seeing those thoughts put to paper. Uh, yeah. And although we are personally doing a, uh, a podcast, so it's audio, we're putting it up on YouTube, it's video, and I know a lot of other content creators do that. I do appreciate when people put words to paper, even if it's, you know, technically paper <laughs> by yeah. putting it online. So uh, speaking of which, um, moving on to our next thing, this is a, this is a little bit of a spoiler because um, it's not quite ready yet. But as Scott alluded to earlier, we did have the opportunity to sit down and speak with Drew, the brand manager, to kind of pick his brain about a number of different topics, some a little more serious, some a little more silly. I want to give a quick shout out to the Wreck and Rule crew. Uh, I know they and Roll for Crit also had interviews at PAX with Drew. Uh, the Wreck and Rule crew, I guess, put in a good word for us, so we were able to, to sneak in there a little bit and uh, get a few minutes of Drew's time, which is definitely appreciated. So thank you, Drew. Thank you, uh, Brian and Joe at Wreck and Rule for helping us out with that. We're hopefully going to get that up soon over on VectorSigma.info. Yeah, technical difficulties didn't allow us to uh, have the interview audio, so we, we just had to transcribe it. So yep. it's all good. So uh, definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. We'll definitely let everybody know. There's definitely, because of the difficulties that we had, I wanted to make sure that we got the information out there uh, as quickly as possible, hence the transcription. So because I think there were a lot of good things that we covered, but I don't want to spoil it too much for when it actually goes up. Yeah, that's fine. We can talk about it probably, I would assume, next week. Yep. So moving from there, uh, you actually had some news for us, Scott, because this is something we had talked about, I think, prior to Thanksgiving, uh, the potential idea for charity tournaments. So the, the pitched idea that we had brought up on the shows before was that, hey, there's it's a toy-based property, there are a lot of kids in need during the, the holidays. Maybe, you know, whatever the situation happens to be, maybe we could try and put one in the hands of the other. So you took it upon yourself, Scott, to try and put something together. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, and um, shout out to one of my teammates, Mark Kinney, who also helped uh, set it up. Um, the big thing, so I, what I actually noticed was uh, the official transformers page not the official transformers tcg page i actually noticed but it was a 
heavily involved in Toys for Tots as well. Yep. Um, that was the first that I had seen um, the connection between the the toy line and, and that charity. So uh, there was that as well. Um, and basically what we thought about was, hey, can we, um, you know, just have a have an event where instead of it's a regular tournament like like the plan is to have a regular tournament we're, we're working together with top deck games in um south jersey um and it, basically the the toy a transformers official toy will cover uh most of your entry fee um that's the that's the idea going in we have to work out some of the specifics around um like the prizes and things like that because we want to make sure that like we're still able to have like a regular a feel to it as a regular event, but it's right. just that, you know, basically your, um, your, your donation covers most of your entry fee. Um, so if you pick up a, a transformer toy at, at the, at your local store, um, you shouldn't have to pay for the full entry fee and all that. And then we're also going to have, um, like other ways to contribute on site. Um, maybe like, you know, food and things like that, that the, the extra donations will be able to go, to probably to buy more toys, which then get donated as opposed to just giving uh, giving money straight to the charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as well, uh, we decided that there's going to be like a few players, like there's going to be like bounties on us. So there'll be additional ways to um, just get into the holiday spirit and like just win additional prizes besides whatever the um, like actual... I assume pack prizes will be, but we may be, we may be supplementing the prizes with like our you know, some, some singles and things like that, just to try to establish like, you know, different prizes that people might want to win. Awesome. Um, stuff. But the basic idea is just that like, it's, it's an alternate entry fee that allows, um, us to give the charity. Right. As well. So, um, but we don't want to lose the, the competitive aspect of it. So we just figured as like an alternate entry fee, that would be the best way to, for everybody to, to, to win out. So, yeah, I think that's a, a great idea. And anybody out there who, thinks it may be too late to do that at their own local shops. Yes, maybe by the time you're listening to this, it may be getting a little close to the official holidays, but no time is a bad time to work with a local charity or a larger charity. It doesn't matter. There are lots of great causes. So if you think that you can't do it, believe me, you can. It can be done. All you have to do is try it out. Speak with somebody. Maybe you can get some helping hands. So if you have the opportunity, if you're in the area, obviously feel free to come to the event that Scott's running at Top Deck Games or talk to your local store or local hall, whatever, try and run something because there's always a good cause that you could try and give to. So I want to give a special shout out for that. Yep, um, and this is December December 16th at noon is when it's going to be. Awesome. So... Moving from there, other topical news uh, that kind of segues into our main subject this evening. Uh, you have a new article that went up, and it sounds like you have another one that's going up, well, tomorrow, but it'll be passed by the time this episode officially airs. Yeah. So the one that has already gone up was about your deck, correct? That you had played at PAX? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then what's the what do you have in store for us? I believe you spoiled a little bit of it on Facebook. Yeah, so one of my teammates, John Palmer, he also won uh, one of the uncut sheet tournaments. So uh, using Insecticon, so we because we use different decks, um, he did a deck tech as well. 
Ah, so it's um, written up by him as opposed to you yeah. writing about his list. Okay, yep. cool. Well, definitely looking forward to that. If anybody hasn't checked it out already, again, by the time this goes up, it, they'll both probably already be up. It's vectorsigma.info. Definitely let Scott know, let John know about, you know, what are your thoughts on the build? What do you think? Is ever Do you think that you could take him down? Because if you think you can, show up to the charity tournament. There's probably a bounty on Scott's head. There is, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so I just wanted to give it, point those out because as I said earlier, I know I prefer written content as well. It's a lot easier for me to consume than it often is for video just because of the way my other real life responsibilities happen to go. Yeah. Hopefully if, um, if you're a true Transformers fan, they'll, uh, um, you'll appreciate some of the stuff that was in my article. Yep. Yeah. I definitely, uh. I, I know exactly what you're referring to, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, because when you get in there, you'll know exactly what it is, and you will you should be getting some smiles out of that. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to, from there, I guess we will segue into this, which is we're going to move right into PAX, which was this past weekend. PAX Unplugged is the tabletop version of the Penny Arcade Expo. You may have heard of Penny Arcade before. They're kind of a big deal. So they decided last year, and it sounds like for the foreseeable future, they're going to be in the Philadelphia Convention Center. And as you can see from the pictures on screen, they're also on the official Facebook page. Two of the three uncut sheets that were up for grabs went to Team Vector Sigma, one of which is owned by Scott. Yes. So how do you feel, Scott? How does it feel to to win... (laughs) Um, it feels good. It's a, it's a, how do I say it? It's a, it's satisfying that the time and effort put in went to, um, proved, proved, uh, fruitful, I guess you could say. Like it was, a, it was worth the effort. Let's put it that way. It was a, um, I can't think of the word offhand, but it was, a. It was basically like a reward for all the time and effort put in, and right. like it'll, it'll, it'll allow me to know that. And what's what's really satisfying is like I had never even played this deck like till the day of the tournament, like seven or eight practice games before the tournament started. Uh-huh. Um, so like I think for me personally, it was just it was, and that and this is a lot a, a lot why the deck iterated over the weekend, and you can read about it in the article. Um, but not that I won't restate it here, but um. So, I guess by having so much practice, more like on the theory level, um, so like just thinking about the game, mm-hmm. getting in practice games and with other decks and understanding the strength and weaknesses of other decks allowed me to adapt and, and play a deck that I didn't have a lot of experience with. So to me, like it just proved that there was a like an underlying skill to the game in general, instead of basically just playing the same deck over and over again. Not that I'm saying that people that, that do that, there's there's anything wrong with that. I mean, there's there's always a skill to right, master right. a certain certain deck. But like for me, it was you know it was satisfying that I I could also win with a deck that I had not really played with very much, um, mm. and only theory like only in theory understood how you know certain plays should have worked. So so the I guess it. Supports the theory that a more cerebral as opposed to uh, physical testing approach is viable for this. Would you say that's accurate? 
Um, I think if you understand what the what the what the the larger game has in install for it, I would say yes. I mean, the big thing here was to run a deck that was going to be successful in a one game format. Yeah. So Ooh. so like if you if you look at if you look at the deck like I had um, specifically seven, I want to say cards that allowed me to control not necessarily draw extra cards but just control what what specific cards were in my deck and in my hand at any one time right so like by playing treasure hunts um inspiring leadership um as well as like you i guess you could count like the like i was counting like the two data pads as well as extra card sifting and card draw right um it basically just allowed me to to always sculpt a better hand throughout mm-hmm. the turn um obviously unless i drew perfectly and like didn't need to do that um so that's always nice <laughs> yeah so um it just allowed me to basically have most the most efficient turns i could have and, and when you're playing a two character deck um you want to make sure that you're not missing out on playing an action for the turn and playing an upgrade for the turn if you could help it right um there the so I went undefeated in both tournaments on Friday using extremely similar versions of the same deck. As I played the deck throughout the rest of the weekend, I didn't do, I obviously didn't go undefeated on the whole entire weekend. Um, but of the games I lost, they were specifically in that situation where I was not able to play effective upgrades and actions on every single one of my turns. Right. So therefore, like my opponents were just having more effective turns than I was. Because some of their cards were just more powerful in isolation than mine were, where which, which required like a combination of things, or were potentially more powerful, like coming off Optimus Prime's flip than they were being played as the action. So uh-huh. like, it just didn't work out as well. And but it was, but specifically the losses I had were my opponents had more efficient turns than I did, um, and it was mostly because I didn't draw the card drawing that I needed, or like couldn't afford to take the time to play some of those cards and then like you know play an inspiring leadership into an upgrade like yes i would get both my quote actions for the turn but they weren't as effective as my opponent just playing whatever they had in their just moving on with life so right so overall you had won and gone five and oh on friday with primes then joe from wreck and rule went five and oh with primes on saturday and then John had won five and zero on Sunday with bugs. Is it, that's accurate? Correct. I'm not mixing any of those up. <laughs> no, that was that was in the um, in the uncut sheet tournaments. Yes. I went five and zero yes. on day one to win like forty like forty packs. I want to say right. And then day two, day two, I think there, I I heard there actually was no. Yes. So again, shout out to the wreck and roll crew who uh, I think. Um, Joe and Frenchie were running around like crazy, and Brian probably as well, to collect all of the data, which they did share in the primary Facebook groups, but presumably also on their Facebook page. Uh, so again, shout out to those guys for the effort they put in. We do have up for those that are video listeners or watchers, I guess, viewers, whatever. Um, some of the data, I just threw it in a spreadsheet. On Sunday, there was only the 1 p.m. event, but there were two on Friday, two on Saturday, and as Scott was saying, only the 1 p.m. events were for uncut sheets. The other ones were 
air quotes, just for a lot of packs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> like we were saying, primes, and you can see in some of this data, kind of became a thing over the course of the weekend. Uh, it definitely grew in popularity to the point where on Sunday, out of 22 people, seven were playing that. We did have, across all the events, it appeared to be a variety of different things. Now, some of that was due to there were a lot of new players. And when I say new, I mean, it sounded as though they either just picked up the game the day before or within the week kind of thing. So that was actually good news because, you know, seeing getting fresh blood in there and uh, new people that are excited about the game. But there were, even aside from primes and bugs, which you know we'll obviously be talking about further, there were a number of other, I guess we'll call them expected archetypes. So you had cars, Hot Wheels, you had Dinobots, you had a number of the other heavy hitters. So you had some builds that happened to run Prime but didn't run Nemesis. They ran something else alongside him or they ran Nemesis. And then there were a bunch of decks that were trying to focus on the Nemesis engine, which you wrote about way back when. Was that your second article, Scott? Third. Third. I knew it was a while back. <laughs> yep. Um, no one remembers the plane deck in the middle. They only remember the Dinobot. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, funny story about planes. Um, I'm still trying, but I can't make it work. But anyway, yep. uh, you had mentioned pre-recording that there were people that had sent in a few questions, and I've seen similar ones in a variety of the Facebook groups and other social media. So let's get the obvious one out of the way. Was there anything that really surprised you, or aside from Primes, which presumably is still going to be in your gauntlet going forward. You're still going to examine the deck. Uh, and I do have some other questions for you about that archetype. But was there anything that stood out that you said, hey, you know what, there may be legs to this. I want to take a look at it later. Um, I think one of the things to take away is that calling any of these decks the same because they have the same bots in them is really unfair. Yes, that is true. I mean, if you were to look, I mean, Joe and I were talking about this yesterday. Like, I think our deck is like something like 10, de 10 cards different from one another. I mean, that's a quarter wow. of the deck. Yeah, that's a lot. So, um, I mean, we have some cards in, in common, but not all of them. Of course. Um, and, not even, and not even close to a lot of the major, like, all the major cards are there. It's just the quantities of them, as well as, like, I, for lack of a better term, like, the way to get to them. Like, I have more sifting through my deck than he did and things like that, like, was the major difference. Like, we both had, you know, Energon Axe, but all day, for, like, the first tournament on Friday, I ran one. He ran three all weekend. But I had Inspiring Leadership and Treasure Hunt to go get the copy of it, whereas he just played three copies of it. So, like, you know, I, I don't know which... I can run the math to see which way it's going to show up more often hand, but, like, the point is, is, like, as we sit down and play a game, we could both have Energon Axes on our characters and... The truth of the matter is, like, he had three times as many of them in his deck than I did. Right. Um, and, like, I could have found mine throughout the course of the game, and he could have been stuck with three of them in his hand, for example. And I'm not saying one way is right and one way is wrong. I don't know the answer yet. Um, I went up adding a second one in as the weekend went on because I felt found Power Sword not to be great, for example. But he ran three Power Swords and realized, as we were talking yesterday, like, yeah, they weren't that great either. So it's, it's just a difference, uh, you know, like that but i think one major thing to understand is like 
a four card difference in this game is 10% of your deck. And that's huge in a game where you're flipping over cards all the time and going through your deck. Um, often where there's, there's enough search type cards where you, you know, and sifting type cards where you can get to, to what you need if you're running one of things like that. And, silver bullets and things like that so like that's that's the one thing i'll say is that no none of the decks were the same even though like you know you might see that like on friday three people ran primes on on friday you know friday at 5 p.m five people ran primes like none of them were the same deck um, right even you and i even you and i didn't oh them. yeah so on the like i know at the friday at five o'clock even you and i didn't run uh the same deck so um right. like we changed the Dinobot deck that we had three times throughout the weekend, even my own prime deck was changed like four or five times throughout the weekend. Little changes here and there, but like, again, when you only have a 40 card deck list, like, and you have the ability to sift through your deck, depending on the cards you're playing, like these little changes can make a significant difference. So from a, I guess from, from that perspective, like it's just, I think that's an important point to drive home is that even though you may see a lot of similarity in the, in the the archetypes, the specific cards in them are are, are varied, and and it matters a lot when you only have a forty card deck versus a typical sixty card deck. Right, right. So the other thing I guess I, I would say is that um, like the one that the one one of the decks I actually really liked was um, uh, Starter Prime, uh, Battlefield Legend Prime, and Flame War. I don't think that the I don't know that the I don't know the deck I faced off against was optimal, but I just thought that the the way I think it was Matt Dixon. He's in he's in the um, Facebook groups. He, he played it against me on Sunday, um, and we were having some conversations about it. I don't know that the deck he I, I think he would admit it too. Like the deck he played wasn't optimal, um, but I think what it allowed you to do, like like what he said, was like you know because because my my prime list had you know um, as you saw it earlier like had two ion blasters in it, and that was a card that a lot of prime lists were not playing at all. So the fact that he had two primes, two Optimus primes, um, allowed him to like be able to play three Ion Blasters and have two great targets for it. So right, um, and play like Matrixes and things like that. The cards that I didn't play, um, but I just thought that was interesting that like because you had two copies of the same character but different aspects of them and at different star costs, it allowed you to to play like varied cards and have the point is have targets for them like that was always an issue with me yeah. with playing a two character deck was like and and some people are scared of this like I, i'm not one of them like to me like you know i played two ion blasters and only have one optimus prime for example um i played body armor and didn't have like couldn't wasn't in melee every single mode of every single character for example like sometimes mm -hmm. those things don't matter to me right like if the card is significantly powerful like you'll find a way to play it like throughout the course of the game but like you know there is something to be said for having that much overlap in your deck for your extremely powerful cards. So I thought that deck was interesting and something that I'd like to work on. So Yeah, that actually was... It piqued my interest as well. I'm not a huge fan, personally, of that particular Prime because it kind of... The, I guess the, the middle Prime? Is it? Or no, that... I think everybody was calling that one Baby one. Prime. The, small, the smallest one. Yeah. It's only the seven-star one, not the... The other one's like 12-star. Yes. So the... My issue with it is that it feels with that without the blaster and without seeing his list. So this is just in the abstract because I, I think I was sitting next to you while you were playing, but I was focused on my game and then yeah. got up and did mm -hmm. something else. But point being is that 
I haven't been a fan of that one simply because it feels like he doesn't do anything without the blaster, but maybe his particular list also supplemented it with something else. So it is something worth looking into. Um, given the flame war, I'm assuming it was blue heavy, uh, but I'm not sure. Yeah, but I mean, there it's unless you're running dedicated like insectic, any seven star character isn't going to quote do anything without having upgrades attached. So the fact that you can uh, attach such a powerful permanent upgrade to me is no right. different than attaching like any other. It's better than attaching like a random, you know, flamethrower in, in other decks and things like that. So I just, oh, it's almost like running. It, there was just synergy there was the point. So oh yeah. And I'd be curious to see if, uh, I don't know if that list got posted in the groups or not, or uh, I could no. try and theorycraft something to see, because yeah. it, it is definitely interesting to have that redundancy. Because uh, I agree with you, I was running Ion Blasters as well in my prime list, even though, as you said earlier, ours were significantly different. Because a lot of the time when I looked at it, it was, well, if Battlefield Legend is gone... It probably doesn't matter that these cards are blanks because I'm not in good shape anyway. Uh, in a lot of cases, yeah. And I ran three inspiring leaderships and two data pads anyway, so like I could always get rid of the card anyway. So. Exactly. Yeah, I'm. I was also the data pads were something that I picked up from seeing you play them, and then it, I had that moment of watching the game and going, "Wow, that that's a really good idea." <laughs> uh, maybe I should be running those. So that was also part of my own deck's evolution through the course of the weekend. Because I had played Primes for most of the events myself, and then had briefly switched off to try Megatron Living Weapon. It worked out okay, um, but it's still, that's another deck that needs work. So, aside from that starter Prime uh, composition, well, was there anything else that stood out to you, or any other particular cards that surprised you now that you were able to run, what is it, like 25 rounds? Of a, at a competitive level event? I mean, I mostly ran into and bugs on the weekend, so um, mm. anything else was just significantly underpowered that I ran into personally. Like, I mean, Joe ran Mex Metroplex to a 4-1 ranking, to a 4-1 rating, or whatever, finish on mm. on Sunday, and, and, and beat what I would consider to be some of the harder matchups, like beating Primes and things like that, so... That, that, to me, said there was legs there. And obviously, he has a lot of practice with that deck, and obviously, he's yeah. a good player in general. Right. Um, so there was, so that was good to see, because I, I felt like, you know, if that deck has legs, there's always room to improve. So um, I guess that quote surprised me that he did as well as he did mm -hmm. uh, with it. I honestly... But that was encouraging. Yeah, I... To digress a bit about Metroplex, now, my version, because I was talking to Joe about this after he had actually beat me as well, um with Metroplex, and my version, I had leaned into a totally different aspect. I kind of assumed that I was never actually going to trigger the ability, and Primes became a serious problem, and that's why I had kind of shelved the idea briefly. But you were alluding to this earlier about having only two characters. So triggering Metroplex's ability, which Joe had done against me multiple times, steals 50% of your attacks. <laughs> to some extent. Uh, yeah. So the the ability, I mean, I don't think anyone looked at it and said, this isn't strong enough, but it may be even stronger than I initially had thought, and it, I do, I agree with you. I think it, Metroplex has potential. I don't know if it's 
and I don't want to say that he got lucky. I'm, I'm not saying that, but <laughs> I got to try it myself to see if I can replicate it kind of thing. You know, like maybe, maybe Joe's the only person that can pull it off. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still think, I mean, like anything else it comes down to the builds, it comes down to the decisions that are made during the game. And I think that basically like playing against that deck forces you to make decisions in a different way than you're used to. Yes. And I think a lot, I think a lot of players might've been like, just thrown off their game because they're not going to get as many turns. They're not going to have as many transforms mm. and flips and like, you know, um, draw as many cards and so on and so and like have to make these non-optimal attacks and things like that and and, and so and not really understand the value of the the like the untapped turn because that may be the only attack they get that phase like that whole right. entire round and like what does that mean and like understand that once the smaller bot comes out like that adds another turn aspect to it because you know like because that plays out oddly because you technically have an untapped character and so the the, the, the round continues and things like that so yep. it's just a different way of like you have to there's a lot more going on because the, the number of characters in play changes I guess from a positive instead of like you having less characters because characters die off and then that changes the dynamic of like, because I saw some players not understand the the ramifications of that. Like they lose, you know, I would lose a character and suddenly, okay, well now all your guys attack at once. And it's like, oh, I didn't do this optimally because I didn't think I was actually going to kill somebody. And then I wound up coming back in the game because of mistakes right. that were made there. That's always the situation here. Like Absolutely. you're actually getting more characters and like, so if you're not playing it optimally, it's actually like backwards in a way. So the good Metroplex player can take advantage of that by, yeah. you know, putting their opponents in, a, in an awkward situation. And I bet I'm not saying that anything was done wrong, but it's just a different way of playing that I think Joe understood by having so much practice with it, and his opponents probably certainly didn't. Right, and I that's kind of what I was getting at earlier is that throwing your opponent off in that capacity is. I don't want to call it subtle because you're literally putting another character on the board. It's right in front of you. But at the same time, you don't necessarily realize it immediately if you're not used to that matchup. And it, it really does mess with your tempo as as you're trying to map out your turns. Like we had talked about at the top of the show, that players are rewarded for making appropriate decisions for the long term of a given game that they're playing the way this game is structured. And yeah. the, the fact that the Metroplex player can throw someone off, and that's, again, why I want to test it. I don't know if I'm going to be capable of making the decisions that Joe obviously was able to do in the like if I'm playing that deck. So it's something that I'm going to have to run through. How often can I really mess with somebody? What's the appropriate time or even sequence to pop out <laughs> certain minibots? So you right. know, some people may just run out Slammer every time. But then he eats a one shell stand, and you're back to square one. Or but see, but see, that's that's a perfect example though. Like, mm. how many one shell stands do you think you're going to see now than you would have seen before this weekend? Yes, and that's <laughs> that is a very good question. <laughs> uh, so. Going forward, because of and that may have been something that people were realizing over the weekend as well, and why we started to see more prime decks by Sunday is that people said, "Hey." Maybe flipping one shell stand or plasma burst off of Prime is pretty good because it's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. 
Um, one of the things that ha I thought of as you were explaining how Metroplex may have been unexpected, how much do you feel the one-game matches played into the events overall compared to if they ran two of three? Um, so when we played in the two of three tournament at um, Top Deck, like I want to say it was like a month ago or something like that, mm -hmm. pretty much all the games I played came down to three games anyway. Right. So to me, it ultimately still came down to the one game out of the three. I guess it could have been the third game or the second game, like whatever you want to say was in the favor of the player that won anyway. So like I'd have to analyze like whether that game three was won by the player that was on the player on the draw for that to matter. Right. So to me, like, I know it seems like, you know, it matters in a best of three situation, but I'm not sure it does because if you just assume that both of you are going to win, let's just, and I don't, I think this is an extreme example, but let's just say both of you are going to win going first, then whoever have won the die roll to go first in the first game was going to win anyway. Uh, because if an extreme example where like you always win when you go first, like I'm just saying, like I got um, it would it would be the same situation. Um, so it just depends on whether or not I guess what a best of three allows you to do is get away from like, and I, I had a couple of these on the weekend, just like really really horrid hands that you get um, due to the fact that you basically have to. It's almost impossible in this game if you're going to play heavily one-sided or the other like heavily blue or heavily orange that you have quote bad cards in your deck that don't do anything other than provide pips right so like i had a hand where i had two leap into battles and two handheld blasters like that that's not going to win when you only have two attacks and like leap is not there to like you're pretty much killing people regardless you you need the leaps at certain times you don't need them in your opening hand so like right that hand does nothing for example but if if the next two games had come up and I had better hands, like I could have maybe won games two and three. So that's that's where I would say like if you're already favored as it is, what best of three will allow you to do is eliminate the the random like the the RNG factor of like what you draw will get mitigated through three games. But the the bad matchup or the the mistakes will not necessarily get mitigated and nor will, nor will really the effects of if, if you dominate a matchup going first or you dominate a matchup going second, like mm -hmm. that to me is also part of the RNG. So that will also not get mitigated as well, but you may over the course of the, the day, like I guess because you're playing more games, you may find ways to play your way out of those situations. Well, to your last point, I think that may, and that's kind of what prompted it was, thinking specifically about Metroplex, that if we operate under the assumption that the player opposing Metroplex has played zero games against it, or, or virtually zero, uh, having seen what their version of Metroplex looks like, because obviously you could go, okay, I'm going to guarantee my flips, air quotes, by playing 18 double pips. Or you could go one of my versions where it's almost exclusively blue and trying to lean on the fact that you have 35 health. You, do you feel that getting additional information and then, or your opponents running, you know, one-ofs that you could try and I don't know how much you can play around certain things, but do you feel that your play styles would have adapted much if you had two of three or did you feel going in, okay, I already know the matchup, 
you're playing primes, I'm playing primes, I'm doing this, or you're playing bugs, so I have this sequence, and that's how I want to play it out, no matter what. I mean, I knew what my opponents were doing most of the time, because they weren't, some of the decks weren't very significantly different than what the typical, quote, typical list would be. Mm. But I guarantee you, that, but I, I know for a fact that people said against me, oh, you showed me that that card was really good in this matchup, in that deck, etc. Like, you showed me how to use that card way better. Mm. So, I don't think that had anything to do with best of three. I think it just had to do with the fact that, like, I, I guess some of our decks were just more prepared for what we thought the opposing decks would look like. Mm -hmm. um, and our card evaluations were different. If you don't... Like, you could test against... Like you said, like you could test against three different Metroplex decks. You could test against six different Primes decks that were different. Like, you know, they, they're not going to be radically different from one another. But again, in a 40-card deck where you only draw four, you know, three cards in your opening hand and then one right away, like every single card decision is way more important because if you draw a card that you have that other decks don't, you're going to use it. You're going to... Hopefully, it'll have an impact on the game. Right. Because you only have so many actions you can take, so some of these things are going to be more important. And then when you throw in... Like, like I was able to... I discussed certain plays for like 30 minutes when the play itself only took like 30 seconds. Right. Like, but I discussed it for 30 minutes after the, after the tournament was over, not even after the match, after the tournament was over. Mm -hmm. Because I wanted to know if I, you know, I wanted other people's opinions if I had made the right play, given the situation. Right. So I feel like, you know, that's where just experience with the game and experience in tournament setting and understanding the vast number of decisions you can make and what their impact on you is, is more important than just how many games you play in a match. Although I do, I mean, do I prefer best out of three? I guess, like, just because it gives me, I, I don't know, I guess you could say it, it mitigates, it mitigates the factors I can't control, which is my opening hands and who goes first and who goes second. Right. So like, I can't mitigate those things. I can play better than my opponents. I can be more prepared than my opponents and I can, well, I guess it's the only two things. So I can't, but I can't mitigate the third factor, which is which is which gets mitigated a bit in a best of three situation. But that's about it, right? Yeah, it was something that for me personally, I'm always kind of against it, and I feel the the events went quick enough, and in general, the games play quickly enough that you don't really need to play best of one it doesn't feel like a requirement i understand there are other factors outside that that and other goals for the game in general that push it towards best of one but given the option i'm always going to choose best of something instead well i guess it, best of more than one instead of best of one yeah and that's fine i mean like uh, again i like i think the schedule would have been different like it would have been difficult to have five o'clock which is probably part of it yeah. Um, and then with the league going on and things like that, I think they just wanted to push for for this as an opening oh, absolutely. Uh, destination event to have it have it be the way. But a best of three year I mean and to be honest with you, like it, it's a it's a I guess this game and I'm talking from a gamer perspective, not from um and Drew gets into this in our interview, like not from the other two audiences perspective that they're looking for for the game, but from the from the tabletop gamer perspective. I think it pulls heavily from a, how do I say, like 
non ultra competitive crowd. Right. Mostly. I think, I think myself, you, other people on our quote team are ultra competitive. Um, but from the non ultra competitive crowd, I think like if you had a five round best of three where every round was an hour, then you cut to a top four. Like those people that make the top four are there for at least seven or eight hours. And I think that the, I think yeah. that I think this game currently has not appealed to a lot of players that feel that that's like, that's a huge time commitment. That's like a whole day for them. Oh yeah. Whereas like all these one game matches, I mean, I mean, I was done my Saturday one o'clock. I was done by like three, three o'clock was able to run next door, get food, come back before the five o'clock even started. So like, right. You know, that's, that's not going to happen in, in a best of three type situation. Oh, absolutely. So. And I think you're absolutely right. And like you said, Drew does bring this up, talking about other audiences. And it is something that I've heard from other people, both for this game and for others, that it is a concern that, wait, so you're telling me if I go to this tournament, it starts at 10 a.m. and I'm not getting home until 9? Yeah. Because that, like you said, it's not just a whole day commitment, but... And we've mentioned this before, the the game appears to currently be skewing older. So a lot of yep. the people have families, they have jobs, they have other responsibilities. And yeah, it would be nice to just say, hey, well, I'm going to go play cards all day. That's not always an option. So I can certainly understand both on, I guess, both ends of the spectrum where if the goal is to get a younger audience as well, because, you know, Transformers ultimately is a kid's toy property uh or you get the parents or the adults then on either end there are significant time restraints uh and i can respect that for the way they're doing it i'm hoping that there is also going to be room to do two out of three or, or other traditional competitive options i guess would be the way to put it yeah you just have to know that going I built my deck specifically because it was one game matches, for example. So, so speaking of which, I do have the list up there. You, you're running a lot of one ofs, and this, I think, the one that I pulled from your article is the one at the end of the weekend. Um, no, they're both the both decks are the same. I just wanted to when I talked about changes I made to the deck, I just wanted to make sure people understood where the deck started, and then I mentioned like where it kind of wound up. I guess you could say. I got you. So. What about it, or could you explain for everybody, what about it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be this particular deck, but what makes you say that this is geared towards one-game matches versus if they were two or three, or something else? So, like, I play cards like play cards like Inspiring Leadership. I play cards like one-ofs, like there was a one-of Drill Arms in the original version. There was a one-of one Power Sword, because these upgrades were going to have specific use in specific matches as opposed to I always want that or I, I always want to play my own game and ignore what my opponents are going to be playing. Okay. So like I knew I wanted to drill arms for heavy armor essentially mirror matches um, that I could conceive of that were going to play armor. You know, I played I think in this, is this the version with what, two body armors and one reinforced plating or something like that? Uh, one yeah. reinforced plating, uh, two body armors, yeah, two force fields. Yeah. So I ended up adding more armor again went on as well. Gotcha. Um, because the matches in the mirror basically came down to who had armor that yeah. stuck and who did who did. That's absolutely um, as true. the as the weekend went on. So you know, 
again, because I had so much card search, like at least in this iteration of it, I could get away with it. Um, so the reason it was geared towards one game match is because I allowed myself to draw to use draw power to get out of the situation. And because I was playing a heavy blue deck as it was, I could extend the game long enough to where those things actually mattered. Um, and especially by using a card like Inspiring Leadership, obviously Treasure Hunt is just going to get you whatever you flip off the Treasure Hunt. Of course. But Inspiring Leadership is a decision-making card. Like, you have to know the matchup. You have to know your own deck. Like, you're not just necessarily... I'm going to use my action for the turn, draw three cards, pitch two. Oh, there's an upgrade. Now you have something to play during my upgrade phase. Like, yeah. not every decision is going to be that easy here. Um, especially when, I mean, there's also the situation where who knows what upgrade you're going to play anyway. I mean, this was the the half-hour conversation I had about one play, for example, um, was to which upgrade I should have played out. Um, you know, because if you have body armor and you'd rather have it be Optimus Prime, you have to transform Prime. Like, there's... There's a lot more that goes in just, and especially when you have access to three more cards, for example, in a turn, than just drawing one card a turn. Right. So, again, like, I think I optimized the deck as best as possible for the one-game matches going into the event, and then I don't know that the changes I made, I mean, again, yes, was my record worse on Saturday and Sunday, yes, I did not go 10-0 both other days. Well, it's kind so of like, hard to expect oh, that every day. Let, let's right. be reasonable. <laughs> right. So, um, but I, I felt that some of the changes I made were, were correct. Right. Given what I had lost to, given why I had lost, etc. So. Well, I, I personally um, happen to agree with you. You had mentioned uh, the mirror came down to armor, and it was definitely, yep. I was able to win a few games. I went I think four one four one three two three two because I missed the very first Friday event. Um, yep. One of them I mentioned I was playing Megatron Living Weapon. I'll leave it up to the listeners to guess whether I went four one or three two with that. <laughs> uh, but I agree with you. The mirrors. There were times where my opponent playing primes. I was playing primes. They slammed down a body armor, and I'm looking at my hand, and in my head I'm saying. If I don't see a drill arms very, very soon, this game is over. Because yep. you're just not pushing enough damage. Now, your build <laughs> happens to run more oranges, I think, significantly more oranges. And when I say oranges, I mean actual orange pips as opposed to rollout, which is both, than a lot of double primeless. Uh, I don't, I like the way you have it structured. Uh, but in my case, the reason I'm bringing it up is. I was anticipating that they had tough three. They are getting three more blues. There's like zero chance they're hitting oranges and whiffing. So I agree with you that the mirror, it feels, comes down to who gets an armor and who can stick an armor. Um, did you find any, because we did talk about this deck a few weeks ago when uh, Craig had won the case tournament, uh, well, maybe more than a few weeks ago now, with... It's a significantly different list, but the same starting bots. Have you? What do you feel are the predators and prey for this deck at this point? And do you think it's the best deck at this stage? Post tournament or pre tournament? Uh, I guess might as well hear both. <laughs> Where would you like to start? I mean, pre. I mean, my list because I run the six blank direct damage cards that no one else was running. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I run, I think, I want to say his list, I know his receptor speed in it. I'm not sure if he had a full play set of them. So like, but I would say, and he didn't, and he had mentioned on our podcast, he was, cause he was in the room that he would run rollouts over, um, uh, rabbit conversion, which is where I got the idea from, right. uh, from him saying he would make that change. Um, I agree that rapid conversion is not good enough. Um, I wound up discovering on the weekend I didn't think rollout was good enough either, but we can get into that um, decision. Uh, but so so he might have had like let's say like two or three oranges max, whereas I went going in had at least four uh, main deck, and eventually wound up changing those numbers around at least four oranges uh, as it was. So. And having all the direct damage. So I had a lot of, quote, blanks on defense, like a lot more than most of the other decks, but right. more active cards on attack. Um, the whole goal of the deck was was to have as many ways of getting to 10 power when Optimus attacked first as possible, which would allow me to kill either Kickback or Shrapnel going into the event, assuming that Insecticons would be the most played and most powerful deck in its current... Um, Makes sense like the way it was currently constructed, what the benefit of playing one shall stand, one shall fall, in addition to leap into battle was, I could also kill 11 health slash armor characters as well. So there's your Snarl, there's your Flame War, there's your, I don't know who else, Prowl, I guess, um, also dead in one shot. But what it, what it doubly allows you to do, which I mentioned in the article, is... It's more targets for Optimus to then transform, get back the action on your next attack. And if your opponent only has three health left, they're dead to one shall stand. If they only have two health left, they're done. They're dead to plasma burst. Yep. And the three is very significant because it's two one shall stands equals three plasma burst. Two one shall stands equals three bigger they are. And because it's out of hand damage, it's not even. It's not even comparable to either bigger they are or weak because you can't actually reach that character unless they're tapped or you're and you're basically wasting an attack at that point. How very philosophy of fire of you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was the whole point. Is that it allowed me to make the best use of Optimus's flip ability to get back way more important actions than just additional leap into battles, which is what most of my opponents were doing. And when in reality okay, so you, you're attacking larger, like, does that really matter when you're just going to one-shot something anyway? Like, yeah. it's not as important in the, in the mid-game as... At a certain point, point, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. It doesn't make as significant a difference. Um, plus, I think the, the direct damage obviously plays a significant part in the mirror, going back to the armor discussion, that yes. I don't care about your body armor, that's one of my outs, because I'll just light them up. You also don't care about force field as much because you can yep. get around that by like, okay, you'll take four. Well, four is still like, can still be significant yeah. when you're doing like 10 damage out of hand. Like, well, yeah, if you push them to so, 11 that, uh, on Optimus, like their Optimus, you don't care about force field. Right. It, it's just, or you push them to 10 even, it, it's irrelevant because they're just going to take the four and die. So, right. It definitely does so, matter. Like, it wasn't, I mean, force fields weren't irrelevant, obviously played more and more draw arms as the weekend went on so they became quote more irrelevant to me but um it's not that they were irrelevant but um the direct damage just allowed me to have other ways of getting around that and then the amount of direct damage with data pad allowed me to basically do 
to kill multiple bots in a turn quite often, especially on the um the zero turn each round. So like yeah. when I when I was the one standing and got to attack whoever I want, like there were multiple multiple on multiple turns throughout the course of the tournament where I killed two bots on that turn, whether it was two cars, two insecticons, two whatever, like often two guys died if I had a data pad. I mean, especially if like I had Prime Blaster and Data Pad in the first round through, like definitely two things were dying. But like, there were I, I remember a game where I guess my opponent felt relatively safe, like sitting behind something, and like I went, I already had Data Pad on Prime. Like I attached Prime's Blaster, one shall stand, one shall fault him. I think it was Prime on Prime, like you know, attacked, put a one shall stand, one shall fall on top of my deck with data pad drew something else my prime was already 10 um etc so like it was just too much for him to take it one turn it was six direct damage six of my own prime getting him to 12 but i knew i was going to win this turn six direct damage from like let's just say it was like i don't know from six to 12 um and then all i had to do was get through for two damage which on a 10 power prime was wasn't even a question right um Whereas if I didn't have six direct damage out of hand, I would, I might, I probably won't, don't win that. So, you know, it was just, and that was just one on spreading the damage to multiple characters. Right. So like, there were obviously other situations where I was even able to uh, spread it there that way. Okay. Uh, so we did have a question in the chat. Uh, there was something else that I want to follow up with after that, but since we got a live question. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about how the deck evolved from day one to day three? So you've alluded to the fact that multiple times that you had ended up shuffling the number of drill arms, uh, tweaking some of the numbers. Did you start out with basically the same shell, or do you feel that you did that huge overhaul of like 10 plus cards? Um, I guess I did five or six cards in total uh, throughout the weekend. Um, mm -hmm. I went over it a lot. But I'll mention it again. Um, so, like right away, I realized power surge just wasn't good enough. Like I wasn't. Um, if I was, the number of times that Nemesis Prime had a card underneath him were slim to none. Like I would say, out of the whatever, what was it, twenty-five matches, like maybe like two, three, and that was mostly because I had a one was getting attacked more often. So it was like I was flipping more cards on defense than I was on attack. Right. So power surge was pretty irrelevant. Uh, in that situation, so Power Sword had to go. Um, it was, and then I was often on day one. Um, I was stuck with a bunch of rollouts in my hand, and never, and and it was only. It was like my Optimus was dead, and for whatever reason, I needed to attack with Nemesis, especially if the card was underneath him. And I wanted to also do the two damage with Nemesis, and it was like one character on one character. Mm -hmm. So I wanted basically like the two damage to go specifically on their one guy. So I needed to have essentially two transforms in the turn, like two flips. Like I needed to get to truck mode to do the two and get back. Right. And normally I'm, I was okay with just attacking in truck mode because it's only one less power. But like, right. if I needed the one extra power, because why not? That's the only time a rollout was ever really significant. Um, it was just awkward to use. It was obviously also good when I had to attach body armor to Optimus because he has to be in truck mode and like that wasn't always, like that was going to be difficult to do because you never want to attack with Optimus in truck. 
Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So, like, but I, I found that I could just play the game differently. Like, I could just attack with Nemesis first if I had body armor on and I was going first. Obviously not against, like, something I want to kill, but in other situations where I need the body armor. Right. Well, or I can attack with Optimus first. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just say, you know, do the, what I, what the deck's designed to do, kill kick back on one. Then on two, instead of transforming attack, because the, all he really is there is a seven power attacker, just flip prime back to truck mode, get my ability back, now attach body armor. Makes sense. So, like, I was able to get around not having as many flips just by playing the game differently. So I wound up cutting roll eventually down to zero. To me, it just wasn't necessary. Obviously, the flipping rollout is obviously ideal because it counts as both pips, but I just didn't find it, it sat in my hand too long and was almost never the ability I wanted to play given options. Right. Yeah, it, it's something that I have... It has rotated in and out of my own builds uh, a number of times for Prime specifically because... I have had a number of turns where it's, I swing in with Optimus, I flip a rollout as part of the attack, I could use, like, play rollout, flip both of them, get back something important, deal two damage to something, oh, and I get that guy anyway, sort of thing, Uh, or set up those sort of turns. I mean, the ideal play on their part would be, okay, well, that guy's going to die anyway, put the two damage on him, but, you know, it... It lets you get a little, squeeze a little bit of extra value out of it, but it is something that feels like it's the, say, 38th to 41st card kind of thing. By playing three of them, I always had two of them in my hand, it seemed. Yeah. And that's what, it just annoyed me. Like, yeah, I could see it wasn't that. Like, it wasn't like Matrix where, like, I can just play it for value on anybody, although you can't play it on Nemesis. But in this situation, like, I, I couldn't play rollout for value, it seemed. Yeah, so, you, you end up putting yourself in a worse position. Uh, yeah. Because, like you said, you don't want Optimus in truck mode to swing, you know, unless it's an absolute necessity kind of thing. And it, it's tough to get around that. So, yes, you can play around it, but it, it, it's so many extra hoops to jump through, I guess, is the way to put it. Yeah, and because... Because I was never playing against deck, like I was never making, I was trying not to use Optimus ever to make a second attack on a guy. So there was never going to be a where if I flipped rollout, I wanted to ever cast it through Prime's ability. Yeah. Just to get the extra one defense because I couldn't lose the two attack unless I had Ion Blaster attached. Yeah. And even, and like, it, it was just difficult to, like if my option is kill their giant guy or be or have three defense and get get an up an ability back, like it was never really in question. Right. So I can I can get behind that. So yeah. what other uh, tweaks did you make over the course of the weekend? Uh, you'd mentioned the <clears throat> excuse me rollouts going down. Uh, it sounded like drill arms went up as more primes started to make an appearance. Uh, you'd already yeah, mentioned I'm... earlier the uh, body armor plating and power sword changes that were kind of in flux. Was there anything else major that you know either over or underperformed throughout the course of the weekend? I played through three drill arms, but said none because I found that the plus one attack was never irrelevant, and the the card you could draw either if they didn't have armor was fine. Right. 
So I had no issues playing a full set of drill arms and it was all said and done. Um, I upped it to three body armors because it became so important in the mirror right? to have that. If my Even if your opponent has plating and you have body armor, you're way ahead. Oh, yeah. Because even though the math shows you don't want to have any orange pips when it comes to defensive decks, and, and, and I, I, I'm a victim of this as well, like when I'm trying to calculate odds, if the orange card is in play, it's not in your deck. Yeah. So, like, it doesn't matter as much. Um, and because everyone knows how important it is, they destroy it. So if you can immediately put another one down, it's insane. So yeah, that <laughs> the second one's the backbreaker. Yeah. So I end up cutting. I think I only played one treasure hunt just because of the redundancy that I had. The actual because the number of quote silver bullets went down when I was playing a full set of drill arms and a, and a full set of body armors. Like I didn't need the treasure hunt as much because I didn't have as many silver bullets. Yeah, you would just draw so, cards. Yeah. Makes sense. So I had two, two Energon Axe at the end, and, and the one card I added today that I never actually got to play, but would have been significant was to play one Disarm. Yeah, you, um, I remember you saying that at the event. So I lost two games on Saturday, like, just flat-out lost two games to Security Checkpoint, um, where I had three upgrades in my hand, both my opponent was able to stick in this situation, it was an armor because it was they they was all in mirror matches. They played an armor and then security checkpointed it for their turn, and I just got blown out because my turn I wouldn't have done armor security checkpoint, but I would have done armor X, and now I or like you know ion blaster X, and I no longer had that option and and couldn't recover from losing seventy five percent of my hand. Yeah, so I needed a mind twist is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so I needed a non-upgrade answer to armor and equipment, which Disarm provides. Yeah. Um, I didn't have enough time. I didn't draw it at all on my Sunday to find out how good it really was to understand if I should run more of them. Um, but yeah. I would say that's a card that is available for testing. Yeah, the Don't theory seems sound. Good it is. Yeah. Disruptive Entrance was fine on the day. Amazing. Um, it was like the nail in the coffin for a lot of decks. Like, right. if you took their eyes still function, they had no chance of winning yeah, at that, all. ISO function seems to be the key to a number of matchups, so I know I'm, I really like Disruptive Entrance because well, like you just said, it's a nail in the coffin. You can put somebody away, especially if they're trying to set something up. Yeah, but there was other times where I supercharged, and it really wasn't that big of a deal. Like, I can afford to take, like, it was just basically taking three extra damage, but you know, like, it was never irrelevant, but I wouldn't say that it was, like, I would never go to three of it, I don't think. I Yeah, that um, makes sense. Like, in the mirror, it was good to take their card draw or to take their card sifting and things like that. So you just wound up with better hands as the, as the turns went on. Makes sense. Um, but that was about it. Like, I scoured for cards all the time before I found um, Disarm. So, like, I, I looked for cards all weekend. So I don't think there's anything else that, like, I don't think there's any, you know, stones unturned that, you know, I would have played something else otherwise. Like, because I, I don't want to play any other utilities because then I because I think data pad is still best for this deck. Um, and there's not a whole like I'm already a glut of weapons as it is. So yeah, absolutely. I definitely had hands. Speaking of, uh, you had mentioned you got blown out by security checkpoint. I had a lot of hands that were very, very full of upgrades. Um, yeah. And it, it, you run into those awkward situations and. 
Although I had said earlier, I'm okay with those dead draw ion blasters drawing multiples when <laughs> Optimus has already eaten it. It doesn't feel great, but it happens. No, if it's, if it's your only draw for the turn, I mean, but I had that's why I tried to run a oh, yeah. card draw. But like at the same time, like if you don't have the chance to play it because it gets security checkpoint out of your hand, that's even worse. Oh, absolutely. Drawing it later, so absolutely. You know. So yeah. So one of the the things I mentioned earlier, but I wanted to circle back to was, do you feel that, and you had sounded as though there were two answers for this, do you feel this is the best deck currently? Uh, it sounded like you were saying maybe it might have been the best deck going in, but it's no longer the case. I think Optimus Battle card in the game, if this is the best partnership for it long term, might be hard to say. Mm -hmm. Nemesis allows you to have your second attacker that does significant amount of damage with one hit, as well as you know, combines well with the, the the controlling theme of playing a mostly blue deck because if you are able to get his his ability to go off once you reshuffle your deck, which obviously you have synergy with with treasure hunts and with inspiring leadership as well, um, it's it's really hard to lose once Nemesis does get the ten power. It just doesn't happen all that often before he dies because for some reason people see him as a bigger threat. That's incorrect. Yes. Um, but I guess that might be another part of the reason why I barely to 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 get him going is because some people saw him as the bigger threat. At least the character they could actually attack more often because I usually attack with him first. That is on the draw. But Optimus is the threat by far. So to me, Optimus Battle for the Legend is the best card in the game, mm -hmm. even though it has the, the highest star cost of anybody other than Metroplex. So uh, I would say like decks based around him are the most powerful. Like like the most powerful in isolation, like decks like Insecticons and Dinobots have, might have more synergy, but like there's no other bot outside of magical Christmas land scenarios involving Brainstorm that can kill, they can consistently kill an opposing bot on the first attack playing no cards that Optimus can. So, put another so, way, he is the highest power level bot for the least amount of effort invested. If you build your deck right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, the reason I, I bring up that distinction is because you had said, you know, Christmas land scenarios, it's that time of year, but uh, you're right. Yes, you could brainstorm into something wild and make Thundercracker gigantic, or, you know, if you really build up a wheeljack or something and give him bold infinite or, you know, something like that. But in those scenarios, you're both in. You require a bunch of resources, very specific resources. You're committing a lot, probably to overkill something for a gazillion. Whereas Optimus feels very much more pinpoint. So, like you said, it you had mentioned briefly the get to ten version. You yep. get to ten for a specific reason because it's hey, funny story. Kickback is nine health and one armor. I want him so, gone so right now. And Shrapnel's three yeah. armor and seven hit points. So. Exactly. So it's just, okay, those guys right now, toast. Uh, and it, it's very efficient about what he does as compared to those other scenarios where it's, you need the stars to align and then you're essentially wasting a lot of resources in order to accomplish the same sort of thing. Yeah, anybody can anybody can put a grenade launcher and battle on any character and get to the same power level, but... This requires no investment in cards whatsoever. Right. 
because it comes all off his ability. Exactly. Um, so it frees so up your other ones to advance your board. So instead of playing that grenade launcher, maybe you're playing body armor. Yeah. And and when you're playing as much direct damage as I am, the flip is significant. His flip in the bot mode, alt mode is significant. Exactly. So every so this takes advantage of every aspect of it. I just don't know that this deck is necessarily takes full. I mean, it takes as much advantage as it possibly can of getting to Nemesis's flip with playing so many tough armors as well as all that card sifting. But it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best partner or partners for Optimus. Just that Optimus is the most powerful card that you can play. So right. I don't see. I don't. I, I would never change the to get to ten or get to eleven aspect of the deck. I may just change other aspects if I was playing a different character lineup that would get away from Nemesis because I, I don't I mean Nemesis is great, don't get me wrong, but like he's just a big dumb attacker. Yeah, he's he's a big guy who punches stuff good, I think is yeah. the way I said it in one of the, the yeah. Facebook discussions. And that I mean he, he's good at his job. It's just his job is very narrow. And that job can be it can when he requires two attacks to kill something because you're playing an all blue deck. Yes, mostly. So, yeah, can that's be a negative in that in that situation. That was a funny thing that I had come up when I was playing it. It's some, especially in the mirror. He's just it, not that he does nothing, but until you get his trigger, or if he doesn't have help in the form of either a weapon or a leap or something, he's probably pushing like three damage. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Because odds are they're going to flip two blues, and if it's the mirror, well, they got at least two armor. So you're you don't feel great about that. Once he flips, it's a different story. Or once it, you uh, reshuffle, rather, it's a different story. But um, yeah, it, it can be a challenge pushing damage with him. Whereas Optimus, as you said earlier, is the real threat doing the heavy lifting. Yeah, and his 16 health helps the one-shot stand, one-shot fall a lot because mm. even two of them, it's still hard to kill Nemesis. Right. Whereas if you're playing three characters, you have to spread out the one-shot stands, one-shot falls more intelligently so that you don't leave those characters up to easy deaths. But, yep. I mean, it, again, it, it's a decision point from there. Yeah. Um, one thing that's fun, though, is sending your Nemesis into their Optimus with the bigger they are. Yeah. So just because, oh, hey, he's actually smaller than somebody. Uh, it does and, come and, up. <laughs> and that's actually another aspect to the mass to, to you having armor, like your opponent having armor and you not, is the, the Pierce 4 in that play. Yep. So, like, there's room for, for that to, uh, um, to come into play as well. Absolutely. But, uh, I mean, is, I, I just right. think Optimus is the best card. I, I just don't know that this is... And I think the battle deck is optimized, for, for lack of a better term, for him. And I think that there aren't a lot of changes I would necessarily make to the battle deck, um, other than if I was playing a different character lineup. Um, right. Yeah, but, I can definitely see that. But it's definitely... Um, it's there for, for him to take advantage of. So we've now seen the extreme orange end in Insecticons. The bugs had their, their time in the limelight. Not long afterwards, we now have the other extreme where we have blue for days, for the, the entirety of the horizon is blue. Uh, the next iteration, I'm very curious as to what's going to be 
the new flavor of the month, the new hotness for everybody to uh, to see. That's why I was asking, do you feel this is the best deck, and now this is the one that everybody's going to target? Because that's kind of how all this stuff evolves, is, okay, well, Insecticons were at the top of the heap, now people are trying to knock it off, maybe Primes is the next thing, then people try and knock that off, and then what's going to replace it? And then the circle of life continues for card games. Yeah, the big thing to keep in just changes to already existing decks a few cards are in there that can make those changes for you without having to play entirely different archetypes right there's even and i'll be this not to bring a metroplex again but a lot of things sequencing of the plays sequencing of attacks uh it, it it's easier to highlight with metroplex because in certain matchups when i've been playing it i want scamper early or i want six gun early or i want slammer early depending on what I'm going up against and what I expect is in the other battle deck. Uh, but the same principle applies to some of these other matchups where, okay, well, if you sequence your attacks so that you can actually use Scrapnel to try and tap down and steal an attack from their Optimus, how much does that impact the matchup? How much does that throw your opponent off? Or, you know, wh whether it's you're playing Dinobots and sacrificing a different Dinobot to one shall stand them back later or you know it's not you mean, just you mean I still function or yes yes that, that yeah, yeah. It said the wrong thing yeah. um yeah but point being is that it's not necessarily the cards in the deck but also the play pattern which is also exciting yeah. to to think about and try and theory craft as to okay well am I actually playing this optimally in the appropriate way to make sure that I'm getting every advantage in this particular matchup. Or catching my opponent unawares when you just do something really weird and they weren't expecting it. So their play has to adjust. Yeah. The key, I think... The last thing I guess I'll say is the only two bots in the game that can actually kill somebody before they attack are the Super Rare Bumblebee and this Optimus, in my opinion, on, a, on like a consistent basis. So right. that's why I tend to play decks that, if he, or I guess I guess technically Grimlock also, because he can take out a target that if, if your opponent chooses to that hasn't attacked yet. It's unlikely, but it's possible. Um, so that I mean, and I, I would have to actually sit down and think about like exactly how I wanted to state it. But like the attack you get per guy is the most important thing you do in your turn, even though the the battle cards that you play lead up to that point. So, mm -hmm. like, if you're able to take an attack away from your opponent during any one round, it's significant. And these, those are the only two. You were taking 33% of their turn away. Yeah, sometimes 25%, but yeah. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. you're, it's a, yeah, you're, a significant chunk of their turn away if you can negate or remove their attack. Yeah, and those are the only two pretty consistently. Right. So, um... And especially, and direct damage helps, like, obviously. Yes. It's very difficult. I mean, it's difficult to from taking no damage to, like, it's difficult to one-shell stand, one-shell a character that has nine hit points three times or more. Hey, but, stranger I mean, things have happened. <laughs> it's, it's easier in this deck because you can keep getting it back with Optus, but, like, yes. that's going to, that's that becomes a significant burden on your character's health. Um. Whereas, At a certain like, point, yeah, you, you start to run out. Yeah, so, you know, but those two characters are the ones that you can straight out kill somebody before they attack, so. Right. So, that, uh, 
I think that covers it, unless you had any other thoughts, either on PAX as a whole or the deck or anything else from the weekend. No, a couple of things I'll say. Uh, in talking to times, I mean, they they were happy with how it turned out. I think Watsi was happy with how it turned out. Um, nothing set in stone yet or anything like that. Um, but in our interview with Drew, he, he had mentioned you know, making making events into destinations. So, like, yeah, other conventions, I hope that they do similar things. Right. Um, I mean, I know Pastimes is a company that goes to different conventions and runs events, so hopefully there's that opportunity in the future because I know for me personally, like, I probably travel to events for the game. So, like, if, if that does exist, um, like, whether it's other PAXs or whether other conventions, um, like, I'd be willing to travel, especially if the prizes remain the same and unique. Um, like, on the uncut sheet perspective, I mean, I think I, I, think I have three boxes of cards to open right yeah, <laughs> um, not that not that I have a problem with it because you know I like opening packs and they have value, but um, some of the more unique prizes were good there. Well, yeah, um, I'm going to say there's a there's a little bit different. I I appreciate the packs too. I I won a few boxes over the weekend, yeah. but yeah, having that tapestry on the wall, or you know, if you if you really want to cut it up, but uh, that is it, that's in a different class than we'll say just packs yeah and the only the only thing i'll say is that 13 events fired so if that and i know that i know that that is one of the segments that wizards trying to to reach but i just don't know if i don't know if these destination events are where you those kind of events are going to have legs just because of there is a cost to get into the event there is a cost to build your deck and so on and so forth so like if given the option of of having to run them versus taking away from other events like this, I would mm-hmm. probably for these destination type events, like these conventions probably err on the side of these probably aren't going to happen. So don't worry so much about making right. room for them or prizes for them and things like that, because not one of them fired for the weekend. And, you know, um, there's just a cost to get into these things yeah, and a cost to travel to these things. Absolutely. I so, would expect, you know, though, the the uh, younger age group would be, the local stores would be where those things, I mean, you know, Pokemon Leagues are a thing, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, for, for other games, and they do happen at larger events, but I agree with you, given that none of them fired, I would expect, and we have no reason, we have no information on this, this is just me guessing, but I would expect for the next at least couple of major events. So say PAX East or PAX South. I don't or PAX. I don't know what sequence they're happening in, but let's say those are the next two major conventions that we would still see the thirteen and over and thirteen and under, or twelve and under, I guess, and thirteen, whatever the breakdown was, the two age brackets to happen, and then after a couple of events, if it still isn't performing up to expectations, that's when we would see a change. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but again, they, we don't have any information on that. That's all entirely speculation. So I I do hope that both groups succeed. Uh, by no means do I not want those to be a thing if there is demand for it. But I kind of agree with you, Scott, that if it if it's not working, maybe don't square peg it. You know what I mean? Yeah, just keep it in mind. Because- Cold it is at, at conventions. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. Oh yeah, with having it. It's just that 
it, it just it's difficult with these types of types of events. But I did think that, like overall, I thought the the schedule of events with two major events uh, a day was was fine by me. Yeah, um, especially in a location with like um, the only thing I'll say, I guess, is that like I definitely. <laughs> over anticipated the number of people that were going to be playing each day. Cause I got there like right as soon as, I mean, I got there, tried to get there at 8am on Friday, wound up being late by a little bit, but not much. Couldn't find the room, et cetera. So like, but they could, they weren't even taking registration until 10 o'clock in the morning and, and yeah. none of the events sold out. And I think that probably has to do again with, I think it's something like $85 to get in for the weekend or something like that. And yeah. Tournament fees. And it, I mean, and we know there terms of um uh you know advertisement and things which i'm sure will get better over time absolutely i think there was also something to be said for the physical layout the layout of the convention changed from last year not that people wouldn't have found it if they were looking for it but it did add an extra layer of oh well i'm not i'm in the exhibition hall oh look there's the card gaming area let me drop by oh there's transformers let me give that a whirl it was sequestered to not a huge extreme, but extreme enough that you had to go out of your way to go find it. So there were a few hurdles. Um, I don't think anybody should be discouraged by the quantity of players. We did have a large variety of players. Like There were different yes. faces in every event, which was really yes. cool. Um, I mean, the only other thing I was like, I should have taken more advantage of playing in the league. Um, yeah, I, for, I should have as just, well. I just didn't have as much time with playtesting and interviewing and eating and things <laughs> yeah. like that. But uh, so, but I, but I thought it was a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Um, so so I'd highly recommend it for people that were there um, to to do that because I thought it was I thought it was fun and it was cool and it was a cool way to get cards and it was it was I'm sure that'll improve over time as well. Oh yeah. Um, Absolutely. You know, but I thought that was fun. So. Yeah, it, I think it worked out really well. I'm look, definitely looking forward to the next chance that I get to go to one of these, uh, as Drew called, the destination events where you, you know, you're, you're going to a convention, you're going to a, a big thing, and you get to sling some Transformers cards there. Yeah. So, uh, so we don't keep you all night, Scott. Can you give us a quick rundown where to find you, where to contact you, where your content other than this show is going up? So likely. Uh, but it's at vectorsigma.info. Um, again, take a look at my article recap of of the weekend, and it's Transformers. It's Super Transformers. <laughs> yeah, yes, article. it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, we will have other content from other writers uh, in the in the coming week or two. Um, like I said, uh, by the time you listen to this. Uh, Palmer's article around his Insecticon list will already be up. Um, Mark is probably going to be writing some stuff as well as some of my other friends. Um, my friend Dan, who I used to play WoW with, he had just got into the game and I asked him to write about what he felt like his first experiences were compared to other card games, for example. Oh, cool. um, so be on the lookout for that stuff. Um, I still have lots to say in terms of like, playing at your significant turn. You know how to build your decks, like why I like direct damage so much, things like that that I might not have already stated, but I think everyone's pretty much aware of that now. Which is kind of maybe putting that all together. So yeah, you can find me at vectorsigma.info. You can reach me at vectorsigma.info at gmail.com. Uh, other players can attest to the fact that that's the best way to have a one-on-one conversation with me, and I've had plenty of them. 
Um, cause you can find me on other various message boards or Facebook groups, but it's whether you PM me in Facebook or, uh, email me is going to be the most effective ways of getting a hold of me. We have the charity event coming up on December 16th. Um, so if you're looking for more information on that, please let us know. Um, like I said, we'll have information about the, the prize structure as well as the, um, like the reduced entry fee due to bringing the toy and all that. Um, hopefully the next couple of days, we just have to hear from the, from the venue about how exactly we're going to handle that. Right. Um, it's still happening. It's just that we just have to get literally the specifics so everyone understands going oh, yeah. in. Of course. Yeah. Of course. It'll be best of three event. Um, we know that going in. And, um, there's no like, format changes. We were, we were toying with some of that kind of stuff, uh, but we decided not to. So Yeah, keep it, uh, keep it simple a, around the holidays. Everybody's got enough yeah. complications as it is. <laughs> yep. So, uh, cool. Yeah, just check out the website is mostly where you can find me or I'm pretty active in the Facebook groups. So. Awesome. For my part, uh, you can see the Twitter right about there. It's uh, at the house of random. Uh, all of our contacts, both for myself and for Scott, will also be in the show notes for this episode. So definitely, I hate to be that guy, but in all seriousness, the, the likes, the subscribes, the downloads, all of that stuff does two things. One, Obviously, the more we get, the more cool things we can do, even as simple as getting a custom YouTube URL instead of the humongous, you know, alphanumeric code that they assign you because we're under 100 subscribers right now. Uh, but it also gives us a lot of information about what people want to hear about, what they want to see about. So even if you don't feel comfortable reaching out to us, which by all means, feel free to reach out to Scott or myself. If you give, throw a like, throw a subscribe, whatever, we can track that information on the back end and say, oh, well, a lot of people really, you know, this episode spiked, so they must have been interested in what we talked about there. So we'll try and do more of that in the future. I appreciate, and I want to give a quick shout out to everybody that was talking in chat today. Definitely appreciate it. Uh, that kind of wraps it up for us, Scott. Thank you for joining me. We'll, we're going to try and get that uh, interview out ASAP. Uh, like I said, we're just clearing a little bit of the details up. It'll be over on VectorSigma.info. So again, thank you everybody for listening and watching, and tune in next time for some more Random Thoughts.